Isn't it wonderful to know that we were just now rejoicing in song, singing to Jesus, and heaven heard us. That's good, isn't it? That's all right. That's all right. It's great to see you all this evening, both members and visitors alike. We praise God for your attendance. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Oh, great God, we praise you, we love you, we thank you so very much over and over again. We can never say your name enough, Lord God. We accept the authority of your name. We appreciate the opportunity to be able to say your name. And we thank you, Lord God, for who you are. Please help us to fall in love with you over and over again, Lord God. Strengthen our love, strengthen our faith. Help us to be and uh, to become greater servants today than we were yesterday bringing glory and honor to your name. Bless us never to forget Jesus, your great Son, in whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary, who not only came, but also died in our stead. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. Mark chapter 1. I might be moving a little fast tonight, because i got a lot of scriptures I want us to look at. Thinking about the message of John the Baptist, right? His message to the people uh, regarding Jesus Christ. But not just what he says regarding Jesus, his message to the Jewish people about the coming Messiah. So Mark 1, beginning at verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just a side note on that passage while you turn to Matthew chapter 3. Those who were baptized under John's baptism in this dispensation of time were not rebaptized uh, on the day of Pentecost. And we can talk more about that if you like in time. But they were already baptized in view of the kingdom to come for the remission of their sins. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so, Mark 9, Jesus comes and says to them in Mark 9 and verse 1, regarding the kingdom of heaven being at hand, Jesus says, and he was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste of death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So we know that John's prophecy about this kingdom, or Daniel rather, Daniel's prophecy about this kingdom came in the days of Jesus and the days of this generation, right? And so it came to pass just as God said it would. Turn back to Matthew chapter 3, please. So John Mark comes, or John, excuse me, the Baptist comes along, and he's saying the kingdom that Daniel spoke of is at hand. It's right here in front of you, preparing the hearts of the people who were expecting the Messiah, expecting the kingdom. And John says, here it is. Jesus says, here it is. It's at hand. Now, interestingly, in his sermon in Matthew 3 and verse 7, John says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, 
for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? What a sermon, <laughs> right? People are coming to be baptized, but, you know, and they surrender to God. And John says, hold up, not you. Who warned you? Who, and listen to the message that he provides to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who were not obedient to God. He says in verse 10, And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That sermon was very pointed. He was speaking to the brood of vipers who came. He was speaking to the disobedient people in the midst, if you will, of him in that day. He spoke specifically of what God's plan is. That in AD 70, Jerusalem would be destroyed because of the rebellion of the nation of Israel. He spoke of the separation when he says the chaff and the wheat. The separation between the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked and the good. And then he spoke of the eternal fires of hell. And he says God has the winnowing fork in his hand. He's already separating them out. That was the message of John preparing the people for Jesus. Luke chapter 1, please. And that kind of explains what Malachi said. And we'll go back to Malachi later in his lesson um, when he was talking about the dreadful day, the terrible day of the Lord. It wasn't just a great day that God is with us, but it was also a terrible day because this is it, brethren. This, these are the terrible days, if you will, because this is it. There are no more chances for humanity. This is it. Those who refuse to surrender to God in this dispensation of time, next comes the end, when all mankind will be judged. This is it. This is it. Luke, if you will, chapter 1, the message of the prophecy of John's work. Over in verse 76. The Bible says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, but you will go on before the Lord to repair His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. It's amazing to me, turn back to Matthew, please, chapter 11, that they understood who, Mark, who John was. Forgive me for continuing to say John Mark. I don't know why he's in my mind, but anyway, John the Baptist. They understood who he was. And they understood that he was preparing the way for the Christ. And then what's amazing is that they were so disobedient that even hearing the message of God, the confirmation of the message of God, and then seeing Jesus in the miraculous, keep in mind, by the way, there hasn't been a miracle performed amongst these people for hundreds of years, right? I mean, it, there has not been a miracle performed, in, in their, and yet they still refuse to listen and to obey, though Jesus came with the miraculous. John never performed a miracle. Not one. And yet he was held in high esteem and high honor. And even though they held John in high esteem and in high honor, they didn't listen to the message 
that he gave them about Jesus. So those dispensations of time, there are four of them. We normally only talk about three. But there's the patriarchal, right? That's basically the book of Genesis up until about Exodus chapter 20. Then you begin the mosaical, and the mosaical dispensation uh, carries it all the way through to John. And then there's John's little unique dispensation. And then there's the Christian dispensation that follows. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. See, John came preaching a different message. John didn't say, obey the law of Moses. John said, obey Jesus. Right? John talked about baptism into Christ or baptism into the future kingdom. He didn't say we're going to go backwards to the law of Moses. John's message was unique to the kingdom of God. Matthew 23, please. The law and the prophets foretold of the, the future kingdom that was to come. And John's uh, declaration, if you will, was that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was in their midst. It was right in front of them. And John was working at inspiration of God and the blessing of God to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah, for this amazing change that's about to happen through Jesus Christ. So the gospel message of Jesus and John's message would be Israel's last call. Think about this. It would be their last call for obedience before their ultimate doom and destruction. It will be their last call for submission. It's pretty amazing. Matthew 23, beginning at verse uh, 37. Listen to what Jesus said about Israel, about Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God tried to save them, but they refused. They refused to repent. They were stubborn. A stubborn people. God said that. An obstinate people. Matthew 23 is a description, if you will, of the Jewish leaders, if you will, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sanhedrin, which would include many others as well. Verse 5, but they, Matthew 23, 5, but they do all their deeds, speaking of the Pharisees and the leaders, to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogue. You see, they, they sat themselves in the seat, the Bible says, of Moses, in the seat of honor, if you will. Like they were, they were something important. Well, not really. God is who is important, right? And that goes for the church as well, right? Turn to Luke chapter 7. It's God who is important. Every leader in the body of Christ, every Christian must point others to Jesus. We must point each other to Jesus. It's all about... Yeah, there you go. It's all about Jesus. Everything in life has to be about Jesus. 
Okay, here's something that sounds a little crude. Your life before Jesus was all about you. But now that you've come to Jesus, it's all about him. Right? It'll be about you later when you get to heaven. Let it be about Jesus right now, right? So listen to what the Bible tells us. They refused to obey and honor Jesus because they themselves loved to be honored by men, to be seated above everyone else. Luke 7, verse 24. And when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are in splendid, excuse me, those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. That, that verse right there kind of kind of grabs you because there's something else about John that God hasn't really told us. There's something else about John that's unique that God hasn't actually revealed to us. But God has some amazing things to say about John the Immerser. Verse 27, This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. And yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Kind of perplexes me because Jesus was born of woman. And I'm interested to know what that really means. What is the depth of the message of God? I don't know what that means. I don't know what God is saying to us, but But there's something unique about John. Verse 29 says, And when all the people in the task gathers heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And so baptism was not only essential in John's day, it's also essential today, right? Mankind cannot be saved without baptism, without baptism into Jesus Christ. It's essential You can't erase it, right? It's all through the Bible. God has a meaning and a definition behind it, and it's for all those who are willing to obey God. What was the problem? The problem is in verse 13, or verse 30, rather. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. What was God's purpose? God is not willing to any perish, but for all to come to repentance, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Ezekiel 33. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible, Ezekiel 18, you just, you just keep going through that. The problem was, they weren't baptized by John. That was God's purpose. To bring Israel of old to the new Israel, the spiritual Israel, a saved Israel. Matthew, please, chapter 21. They were an evil generation. They were only out for themselves. They didn't really care about what, and this is what's amazing. They didn't really care about what God wanted. They, they really had no desire. God wasn't really that important. What was important, they themselves said it in John chapter 11, was their nation and their position. 
They said that out of their own mouths. What's important to us is our nation and our position. Jesus doesn't really matter. John doesn't really matter. They were rebellious and evil people. Matthew 21 and verse 25. There the Bible says, The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear them, for they all hold John to be a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They were also liars, right? As they reasoned in their hearts and understood the truth and the reality of God, they not only promoted lies, they believed in themselves. They created their own lies to say to Jesus, well, we don't really know. They knew it because they knew who John was. Luke chapter 7, please. Luke 7. They were an evil and wicked generation of people these religious leaders who were only out for themselves and not for the good of humanity and not for the good of God. And sadly enough, there are religious and evil leaders in our world today who have the same mindset. Luke 7 and verse 31. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Will God ever be able to please these people? The answer was no. Not the majority of them. How about today? Will God ever be able to please us? Nah. No, probably not. Not unless we humble ourselves and submit and surrender to Him. See, the problem of Israel was they had many sins, but they were unwilling to recognize or admit their sins. They were not willing. Let's go to Romans 2. They were not willing to surrender and, and acknowledge the fact that they were an evil generation. You see, all of us have to come to that point where we have to get off our own pedestals, right? Get off of our own high horses and say, I'm a man full of sin. And I'm asking God to forgive me. I'm not a sinner. I don't walk in sin. I don't live in sin. But I make mistakes like everyone else. Be willing to say sorry to God. Be willing to say sorry to each other. Be willing to admit the truth. You ever been caught in a lie? As a Christian, first of all, we shouldn't have lied. But if we did, if we had, we need to just tell the truth. Right? You say, well, preacher, give me an example. You know when, that, when those lights pull up behind you and they say, hey, do you know how fast you were going? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, you do. Probably a little too fast, right? They were guilty of sin that they would not confess. They were guilty of sin that when others brought it to their attention, they ignored it. 
they were guilty of sin so much so to where it was very easy to blame everybody else but not accept God's truth about themselves. What were they in need of repenting of? Look at Romans 2. Context, Romans 1, um, Paul is talking to the Gentiles and he's saying, you know, to the, the Gentile church, if you will, that you know, this is what they're guilty of. And the Romans, if you will, the Jews rather, were on the other side saying, oh, you guys, you guys are terrible people. You Gentiles are terrible people. And then Paul turns the attention, if you will, by way of inspiration from the Gentiles to the Jews. And he says, okay, well, let's talk about you for just a moment. Verse 1, he says, therefore, you are without excuse. Remember in Romans 1, he already said the Jews, the Gentiles are without excuse. And now he says the Jews are are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Part of John's message. Repent, you brood of vipers. You're worse than the Gentiles, right? He goes on in verse 2 to say, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? In other words, what he's saying to the Jews is that you all are doing the exact same thing as I just described about the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1. And then they would argue and say, well, wait a minute, we're not, we're not, doing, we're not doing all of that. And then Paul says, well, let me ask you this question. Verse 17. If you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law the embodiment of the knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say to the one that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And that was powerful because they often called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. And Paul says they might physically be uncircumcised, but what's important to God is the spiritual circumcision of which you do not have. The message of John was clear. God's day was coming. Turn to Malachi, please. Chapter 4. A terrible day, but a blessed day. A terrible day for the wicked and unrighteous and a blessed day for the righteous people of God. In Malachi chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all 
Israel. And by the way, this is a very good uh, scripture to go to when you're talking to those who believe that all mankind must follow the law of Moses. He specifically tells you who the law was for. It was for Israel. It was not for the Gentiles. The next verse says in verse 5, Behold, I am going to send to you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Again, great for God's righteous people and terrible for the wicked, specifically beginning with the Jews who disobeyed and dishonored God. Back to the sermon, Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 7 of John. The Bible says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Now here's the point. They weren't just coming with the idea of fleeing from some wrath that was spoken of in the Old Testament. They were coming to empower themselves and enrich themselves to be not only over Judaism, but now over this new thing that John is preaching and declaring that came from the prophets of old. And so John says, here's what you have to do before you're able to be baptized. You've got to repent, right? But it wasn't just repent, it was bring forth fruits of repentance. Verse, uh, verse 80 says, therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. It was important not only to, to know what's on their heart, but to witness in their day, what was on their hearts. Verse 9 says, And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We don't need God. We have Abraham. <laughs> right? Wrong God. <laughs> do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, Let me say this in a, maybe a more colloquial way. God doesn't need you. Right? But he says it in this way. I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So in other words, he, he was taking them to a, on a journey of humility. Right? He was taking those, those religious leaders of the day on a journey of humility saying, listen to the message of God and get off of your high horses. Did they listen? Some did. Most did not. I guess the question for us is, are we listening? Some will. Most will not. John 12, Jesus speaks to them, and he says about himself and his message. As John's already confirmed Jesus, if you will. Jesus says about himself and his message in John 12, in verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Never get into a Bible study and then argue your point. It's not your message. It's God's message. Right? So our job, our responsibility, is to give them God's message. Our job is not to lead them to the water. Maybe that's one of the things that got us, you know, growing up, I hear him say, lead the people to the water. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do. Our job is to make them thirsty. See, you're the salt. And salt makes things thirsty. Makes people thirsty. So as we're the salt of the earth, we make them thirsty. And guess what? They'll drink. Right? You can lead them. You can drag them along. You can force them. But you can't make them drink. But you can make them thirsty. 
So God says, Jesus says, I've given you God's word. Verse 49 says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment of what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. I'm just trying to give you eternal life. If you don't want it, that's your choice. Between you and God. My job is to throw it out there as a a farmer, if you will, scatters a seed. And the thirsty, the thirsty will drink. Philippians chapter 2. This Jesus that John the Immerser proclaimed to us. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, goes back to his rightful position. It seemed like to the church that Christians and Christianity and this this way, the new way, that it failed. But the reality is, amazingly, Jesus said, death is the victory. That's the opposite. (laughs) That's converse to what we believe, right? But death is the victory. It was through the death of Jesus that the victory of God came to a lost and dying world. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says, Therefore also God highly exalted Jesus, exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scary message. Here's a scary message. That's a scary message. Every knee will bow. Might not do in this life. In this life, you might... You know, people shake their hands at God and might not do it in this life. But you will in the life to come. Every person, scary message, will be baptized. You might not do it in this life, but you will in the life to come. Scary message. The message of John, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Have I humbled myself recognizing, as earlier stated, it truly isn't about me. It's about God. Tonight, if the lesson is yours, if you are struggling in your faith, if we can pray with you or pray for you, if there's something that we can do uh, in your behalf and in your walk of faith, if you're not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. If we can assist you, In any way, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.